This is the Christian Life Center podcast. Here at CLC, we are messengers of hope, where we believe in taking God's message of hope everywhere we go to everyone we meet. From wherever you are, be encouraged by this week's message. Today we're going to look at scriptures, and we're going to understand, and we're going to analyze the purpose of why Jesus was sent to earth. Particularly, we're going to look at the idea that the baby in the manger was born king of kings at our high priest. We're going to read together a famous scripture, which all we are familiar with. It's a scripture in the book of Isaiah chapter 9 from verse 6 to 7. There the prophet Isaiah painted a picture, gave us a metaphor of Jesus being sent to our earth. The manifestation of God's son bringing us peace, a nation that is ruled by peace. A child is to be born, and not just a child, a son. I want us to read together Isaiah chapter 9 from verse 6 to 7. It's right in your outlines. If you can find it, somebody say, uh-huh, uh-huh. Isaiah chapter 9 from verse 6 to 7. Let's go. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on his David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty, we accomplish this. Amen. For the purpose of explanation of the text before we pray, the Bible makes us to understand that he's called wonderful because he's both God and man. He's called counselor because he knows the counsel of God from the beginning of time and he gives counsel to man. He's called wonderful counselor because none teaches like him. He's called God, the mighty one, because he's one with the Father. He's called Prince of Peace because he reconciles us to the Father and gives peace to our hearts and our conscience. I don't know about you, but the Bible says the government shall be upon his shoulders because he shall carry the burden of it and the happiness of his subject shall reign and shall be forever. Somebody shout hallelujah. Father, we thank you for your word. The Bible says that the entrance of your word brings light. Let there be light. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Let liberty fill this sanctuary. Open our eyes to see. Open our ears to hear. Let us see Jesus. Give us revelation. Have your way, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus is many things to many people. But today I want us to understand one simple truth that Jesus came to be our king and our high priest. The very title of Jesus, Jesus Christ, speaks of his anointed because the word Christ, Jesus Christ, Christ being his title, Christ means the anointed one. The what? The anointed one is taken from the Greek, Christos, the anointed one. And the Hebrew is the Messiah, which means the anointed one. And the, the Old Testament prophets, and as well as the people of the Old Testament, 
understood the meaning of this because they realized that only three offices, only three categories of people were seen to be anointed. They were the prophets, kings, and priests. The kings and the priests were anointed with oil, but the prophets were deemed to be anointed with the Spirit. And Jesus functioned in those three offices as prophet, as priest, and as king. In the book of Matthew chapter 1, we begin to see a tapestry of history unfold. The Bible says that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, Judea. I wanted to take note that Bethlehem, Judea is David's city. City of David. Jesus was born in the city of David. And the Bible tells us that wise men came from the east. And in Matthew chapter 2 verse 2, the Bible says they went around and asked, Who is born king of the Jews? We have seen his star, and we have come to worship him. In fact, when Herod heard that the wise men came to search for the king, the Bible tells us that Herod became very disturbed. Herod became troubled. You know, but, but the Bible makes us to understand that the wise men understood the prophecy that a king was to be born. May I make bold to submit to you that even till today, wise men still seek Jesus. So I wanted to look at someone eyeball to eyeball as if they owe you some money and tell them Jesus is my king. So Jesus came to be our king, and not just our king, Jesus came to be our high priest. The Bible makes us to understand in the Old Testament, if we look at the book of Numbers chapter 18, and we look at Leviticus chapter 4, down from verse 3 to 7, the Bible tells us that, that the high priest had a role to play. One of the functions of the high priest was the high priest was supposed to lead the people in making sacrifices and lead the people to have access to the holies of holies. The high priest would kill a lamb and sacrifice so that the people would be atoned for their sins. And we begin to understand that the Old Testament was a type and a shadow of things to come. Jesus is our high priest because Jesus went behind the veil, died for our sins, and has reconciled us to God. Somebody shout hallelujah. So Jesus is our king and high priest. And we see it very clearly in Hebrews chapter 14. If we read Hebrews chapter 4 rather, Hebrews 4 verse 14 to 16. The Bible makes it clear here. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the son of God. Who? Jesus. Jesus is a high priest. He went further to say, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Verse 16, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. How are we to approach the throne? With what? I can't hear you, somebody with what? With confidence, so that we can obtain grace to help in time of need. Amen. Jesus is our high priest. 
Jesus went into heaven to atone for our sins. Jesus made the ultimate sacrifice and became a high priest. Now, to further understand Jesus' role as king and our high priest, I want us to consider for a brief moment three ideas. Number one, Jesus fulfilled Old Testament prophecy. You know, when we look at the scriptures, the gospel writers, time and time again, when referring to Jesus, used the words according to the writings. Cataragrapha. In other words, the grapha, the writings. The, the Old Testament gospel writers and the gospel writers realized that Jesus came to fulfill a prophecy. Jesus came to fulfill the words that was written of him. In fact, Jesus himself said, I come in the volume of book that has been written on me. And the Bible says in John chapter 1 verse 1 that the word became flesh and dwelt amongst men. So Jesus came in fulfillment of scriptures. And one of the scriptures we see is in Zechariah chapter 9 verse 9. I'm going to read it in a moment that Jesus came to fulfill the scriptures. The Bible says, rejoice greatly, daughter Zion, shout daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the fall of a donkey. And Jesus fulfilled this prophecy in John chapter 12 from verse 13. We see it. And that's one of the reasons we celebrate Palm Sundays today, because Jesus fulfilled the prophecy. Somebody shout hallelujah. Also, Jesus fulfilled another prophecy as not just priest, but as king. When David wanted to build a temple for the Lord, because he didn't want the Ark of the Covenants to be in tents, David wanted to build a temple for the Lord, and he prayed to God, Lord, let me build your temple. The Bible says that God sent prophet Nathan to David and told him, we see it in 2 Samuel chapter 17, 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12 to 13, the prophet Nathan was telling David, this is the word of the Lord. It says, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your father, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name. And let's watch this, the next uh, phrase. And I will establish his throne forever. So in other words, the prophet Nathan was telling him the word of the Lord, King David, that God will establish the throne of his offspring forever. That is the prophecy of Christ. I will see the fulfillment of that prophecy in Matthew chapter 1 verse 1 when the Bible says that the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of Abraham or the son of David and the son of Abraham. So the, the, the fulfillment of God's word that he will send an everlasting king to the Jews, to his children, what didn't just find fulfillment in the covenant with Abraham or in the covenant with David, found fulfillment in the book of Matthew when God sent Jesus Christ. A lot of times the modern church doesn't understand the function of Jesus as king. You know, I, I, I realize that modern America, because, has not, because it has not been exposed to the rulership of monarchs and kings, it doesn't understand the depth or the dimension and the power a king welds. Who is a king? A king is a monarch. It's a what? A king is one who rules. 
So when we say Jesus is king, we are saying Jesus, what? Rules. A monarch is one who rules. In fact, a monarch has absolute authority. Because in our nation, in the U.S., America operates through a democratic system. You vote presidents into office. In a kingdom ruled by a monarch, there is no election. In a democratic environment, in a parliamentary system of government, the laws come from the people. Government by the people, for the people, of the people. The laws come from the people. But in a kingdom, the word of the king is law. So by the time we begin to understand it, it changes our perspective of how God functions. You know, I, I lived in Europe for a few years, and part of what I saw in Europe, particularly I lived in Austria. In Austria, part of the kingship, they had a palace where the king lived. It's what's called the Schönbrunn Palace. I have a few pictures that I'll, I'll just show the Schönbrunn Palace. Every now and then, my wife and I would walk around the gardens around the Schönbrunn Palace. A few years ago, we went to Paris, and we went to the Versailles, the Palace of the Versailles. It referred to as Chateau de Versailles. And it had beautiful gates, beautiful palace, beautiful places. And the kings lived in royalty. We're also familiar with the Buckingham Palace, which is the kings reside in. And, and King Louis XIV Louis actually dwelt in Palace of the Versailles, and they ruled. So the people of the olden days understood how a king lived and how a king ruled. So when Jesus was born... There was a problem. There was a problem because Jesus was born in a manger. So the people did not know what to make of it. Because who would have imagined that a king would have been born to a peasant woman and a carpenter? Who would have imagined that a king would have been born in a manger, in a king-sized bed like this one? Who would have imagined that a king would not have been born in the palace? So the people were confused and did not understand the role of Christ as king. Even though the prophets have established and wrote the testament, the prophecies, that the king, the Messiah, that Jesus Christ will be born as king of kings. It, it, it brings us to a certain point, and I want us to establish a few things. The scripture establishes key facts about Jesus as king. Number one, Jesus was sent by God to establish God's spiritual authority. If you can, I wanted to write this down. Jesus was sent to establish the spiritual authority of Christ. And God sent Jesus to restore fallen mankind to his authority. Number three, Jesus is now ruling in the spiritual kingdom of God. Number four, entrance of, into the kingdom of God is by King Jesus only. I don't know what you believe. Some people believe in different religions, but I know that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. There is no way to the Father, but unless through Jesus, the King of kings. So number six, Jesus will return and create the eternal kingdom of God. And finally, Jesus will rule the kingdom of God forever. This leads us 
to our second point. Jesus manifested his authority and won the victory. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, the Bible says Jesus came to them and said, All authority. What does the Bible say? Does it say some? Does it say a few? He says what? All authority. All authority. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's Jesus speaking. Now I want you to take note that the word authority means legal right. It means what? In other words, Jesus has the power and the legal right to exercise that power. So child of God, Jesus has won the victory for us. Jesus has died for us on the cross. And because of his death, he has delivered us from the bondage of sin. Praise God. So we have the king of kings that has won the victory. Then we have Jesus as priest that has died for us and delivered us from bondage and has reconciled us from God. The word reconciled is an interesting word. It actually means um, to be reconciled. The conciled was taken derived from the word conciliary, which we get the word eyeball to eyeball. <laughs> it, it, it means to be made friendly, to be made friendly, to be reconciled, to be made friendly again. What that tells us is we were once friends with God, but because of sin, we were cut from God. And Jesus came to reestablish the connection. Oh, if you need a connection, Jesus is the way. If you need a connection back to God, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And that's what Jesus came to do. In fact, the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17, for this reason... He had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest. Remember, we said the high priest was to enable the people to have access to God, to make sacrifice for the people, to give the people access to God, to lead them in worship, to lead them in reconciliation to God. So Jesus became that faithful high priest. And the Bible now says, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. In understanding the role of the priest, we, we would better comprehend and understand how Christ offered himself as the sacrifice once and for all. He could save, he could deliver us. Now, I want us to look at Hebrews, on, uh, another scripture in Hebrews, but before we do so, let's look at Colossians chapter 1 verse 13. The Bible says he has res rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of his dear son he loves. So Jesus rescued us. Jesus delivered us. Jesus delivered you. Tell somebody Jesus delivered you. And if you have not been saved, if you have not accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I'm going to make a call at the end of this message. I wanted to make today an opportunity for you to accept Jesus into your heart. 
Because we have a high priest that stepped into the holies of holies and offered the ultimate sacrifice for our sins. He forgave us. He cleansed us. He cleansed our past, our present, and our future. There is no sin that you have done that Jesus has not forgiven. All you have to do is to come into the saving grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Revelation chapter 17 verse 14 is a scripture I want us to focus on in a moment. The Bible says that we wage war against the lamb, but the lamb will triumph. The lamb will what? Jesus will win. Why? Because he is what? And king of kings. Lord of lords and king of kings, and with him will be his called and chosen followers. You know, I don't know about you, but the book of Hebrews paints a picture as priest. And so long as we can identify with Jesus, we become partakers of his nature. So long as we can identify with the sacrifice that Jesus paid, we become partakers of the victory we have in Jesus. So long as we can walk in the steps of Jesus and say, Jesus, we accept your sacrifice on the cross, we become partakers of the victory he has won. And that leads us to our third and our final point. Jesus established his power and dominion. Remember we said Jesus fulfilled Old Testament prophecy? Jesus manifested his authority and won the victory. And Jesus established his power and dominion. Jesus is king. Oh, I don't know whether you believe that. But Jesus is king. Jesus is king. The Bible says in Psalms 47 verse 7. I want us to read aloud. Psalm 47 verse 7. For God is the king of all the earth. He's king of what? Is king of what? So long as we understand the kingship of Jesus, it enables us to walk in dominion. You know why a lot of believers don't walk in the dominion they have been given by Christ? It's because they don't understand the fact that they serve the king of kings. Why is he king of kings? He's king over kings. It means to you and I are kings. He's king of kings. I don't know whether you see this, but he's king of kings. It means you are a king, I'm a king too, but we worship the king of kings. And the Bible says he's Lord of lords. Do you know what a Lord is? The easiest metaphor to use, the easiest description is a landlord. What is a Lord? A Lord is an owner. So when you say he's Lord of Lords, you know what that tells me? He's Lord over the Lords. He's owners of the owners. <laughs> so let no man think he owns everything, anything, because he, God owns the man that owns the thing. The Bible says he owns a cattle upon a thousand hills. That's why with God, with God, victory is certain. Victory is certain. Even to the end of time, God remains, you know, king. And we cannot fully understand the dominion and dimension of his kingship. That's why when we read John chapter 18 from verse 36 to 37, you know, Jesus was having a conversation with Pontius Pilate. 
And Pontius Pilate began to probe a little bit, trying to ask Jesus, uh, are you the king? And the Bible says, Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom was of this world, my servants would fight. So that I would not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. And verse 37, Pilate therefore said to him, are you a king then? Now see what Jesus said. You say rightly that I am king. So we can hear it from the very mouth of Jesus. He said he's king. So Jesus is king. So I, I don't know, about, but I'm excited about it. I believe that Jesus is king even before Kanye West came out with his album, Jesus is King. Jesus is king. Jesus is king over all things. Revelation chapter 19 verse 16 said something. Even to the end of time, the Bible says on his robe and on his tie, he has a name written, King of Kings and what? Lord of Lords. Praise God. Praise God. One day, every king would bow before the King of Kings. One day, every Lord will bow before the Lord of Lords. One day, every celebrity would bow before the King of Kings. One day, every government, every man, every woman, every monarch, every boy, every girl will bow before the King of Kings. Somebody shout hallelujah. I remember the words of a very famous preacher, Reverend S.M. Lockridge. He produced... A, a message that has been changed to a YouTube sensational video, that's my king. Many of us know the video. In one of the lines, Lockridge said this, Jesus is the king of righteousness. He is the king of ages. He is the king of heaven. He is the king of glory. He is the king of kings. And he is the Lord of lords. My king is the sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's the greatest phenomena that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's the sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. I don't know if someone can brag about my Jesus. He has done great things for me. Can somebody just tell five people that my God is a great God. My God is the king of kings. My God is the Lord of lords. I don't know whether you need a breakthrough in your life but my God the Bible tells us that he is the way the truth and the life he's the rock of ages is the balm of Gahid is the rose of Sharon is the king of kings is the alpha and omega he's my advocate he's the bread of life he's the chief cornerstone he's my savior he's the lion of the tribe of Judah he's Messiah he's the mighty one He's the Lord of glory. He's the resurrection and the life. Is there somebody that can brag about my Jesus? Oh, Malana do Satan, Satan. I wanted to tell five people around you, my God is a great God. My King is a great King. My Lord is the Lord of glory. 
My King is the King of Glory. Oh God, I feel excited this morning. You know, let me tell you a secret. A lot of people are waiting till you get to heaven. <laughs> you know, when you look at the book of Revelation, you see something very peculiar. The Bible says there shall be a new heaven and a new God's purpose is not to hurry up and get you to heaven. That's not his, 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 his focus. He wants you to bring his kingdom. You know, for, for those that grew up in the Caribbean, I'm Nigerian, and we were, we were former colonies of Britain. When a king takes over a land, it makes the land his domain. Part of the agenda of the king is to transfer the culture of the sending country to the domain, the new land. So one of the things the British government did, the Queen of England, they started making every of the former of the colonies speak their language. Secondly, you begin to take the culture of the king. That's why you drink tea like the Queen of England. You begin to take the culture of the place. God's purpose is to bring heaven's culture not just in your life, to bring it around you. That's why Jesus taught his disciples to pray. He said, when you pray, say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Oh, I don't know about you, but the enemy doesn't want you to enforce the kingdom of God here. That's why he's making you caught up with things that will make you not to embrace God's kingdom. And you know, in, 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 in a kingdom, the citizens doesn't, they don't own anything. Everything belongs to the king. That's why they call it commonwealth. Everything belongs to the king. And every citizen has the freedom to enjoy anything that belongs to the king. I don't know about you, but because I belong to the king, I can enjoy the benefits of the kingdom. Is there somebody that is ready to claim their benefit and say, I come in the name of the king of kings, of the Lord of lords, of the ancient of days, of the lamb of glory, rise to your feet. Are you ready to praise God? You know, this, this afternoon, I want someone to exercise the dominion that God gives. When we get to heaven, we're going to be spending a lot of our time to worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Part of what we do here is an exercise of what we'll be doing in all eternity. This morning, we're going to worship him. You know, Jesus is King of Kings and Jesus is Lord of Lords. Now, how does that apply to our lives? Now, before we begin to worship, I want us to listen to this. Make a determined, deliberate effort to submit to the King.
The Bible says in James chapter 4, verse 7, submit yourself to God. A lot of people want to resist the devil, but don't want to submit to God. Authority means legal right. Jesus has the authority. We have an authority in Christ. But for us to have that authority in Christ, we have to be submitted to Christ. I don't know whether you're here or not. The sound of my voice, you haven't surrendered your heart to Jesus. This is a great opportunity. I want every eyes closed, every head bowed. And if you have not been saved, I want you to pray after me this prayer. If you want to rededicate your heart to Jesus, I want you to pray with me. Say, Lord Jesus, forgive me my sins. Father, I accept the sacrifice that Jesus paid on the cross. I accept Jesus into my heart. Jesus, be my Lord and Savior. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. If this ministry is making an impact in your life, why not help us make an impact on the lives of others by partnering with us today? You can give through our CLC app or at clcftl.org forward slash give. Thank you for listening and remember to subscribe for more inspiring messages like this. Now go and be messengers of hope.